connect to you and then serve you with our actions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I love the Bible because of Mrs. Alexander. And Mrs. Alexander was a Sunday school teacher I had. And she told me stories of the faith, Bible stories. And she told me exciting stories of heroes of the Bible. And she told me about amazing events. Uh, and she told me about Jesus, who loved me. And she also forced me to learn Bible verses. She told me it was for my own good. I did not believe her. But because I knew that she loved me, because I had known her for a long time, I did it anyway. I oftentimes sat outside the classroom because she was a little legalistic in that you had to say the verse that she gave you to memorize before you could enter the Sunday school room. So, a lot of times there were more people in the hallway at the beginning of the class than there were inside. But begrudgingly, I did learn, and I've been blessed by that fact. Because in difficult times and in joyful times, both, um, Scripture pops into my mind. It doesn't always pop into my mind chapter and verse. Uh, so I get fragments of it. And sometimes, you know, you've heard people that kind of speak a mix of Spanish and English called Spanglish. Well, sometimes I get like biblical Spanglish, all right, where I, I get bits and pieces of it right, at least right enough that I can do like a search on my phone and find the actual place where the Bible says that. And occasionally I'm surprised that the Bible doesn't actually say what I thought I remembered it said. But then that moves me down a different path, which usually is, is still beneficial. Um, but I've noticed that this um, scripture just kind of gets inside of you. And it just kind of comes out sometimes. Um, or maybe that God pulls it out sometimes. And puts it on your mind. One place this reality or this importance of scripture and actually learning, learning some and memorizing some comes into being is when we go every month to Harbor Manor to sing. Now for those of you who uh, sit, we got 30 feet between me and you, so you're lucky when you don't hear me sing every week. It's not that great. Um, so I don't go to Harbor Manor to sing, I'll just tell you that. Um, and no one comes to Harbor Manor to hear me sing. Some of the other people that come are good singers, so that balances us out. But I come primarily because my daughter wants to go. Secondly, because of what I see there. And a lot of the people that come and sing with us are part of the memory care unit. And sometimes 
they get the joy of meeting you 20 times in an hour. That's how I explained it to my daughter. I said, hey, you know, you see how excited they were to meet you today, Emma? They got to do that 20 times. So you brought joy to them 20 times in a short. But then we start to sing, and most of the hymns that we sing are old hymns that are very much scripturally based. Um, Charles Wesley's uh, great hymn writer and, and pastor and brother of John Wesley, um, they said like if you took all of his hymns and kept them all, that you could re recreate like two-thirds of the Bible just from, from his hymns because they were so scripturally based. And so at Harbor Manor, we sing scripturally based hymns. And some of these people that can't remember your, your name for five seconds know every word. They don't need the book. They don't need a hymnal. Or you can say the Lord's Prayer and they jump right in. Now I know some of you have loved ones or have had loved ones with dementia or Alzheimer's and it's a terrible thing. But here's where I think scripture comes into being very important because that's what still comes out. But it only comes out because it first went in at some point. <laughs> Scripture has seeped into their very beings. And nothing can get it out of there once it's in. Well, the Bible is an amazing book like that. Um, and it's unlike a lot of other books because it's alive. And I don't mean like if you lay it down somewhere, if you come back later, it'll be gone like it walked someplace. All right? I don't mean it's alive in that way. You don't have to take it out for a walk or anything or feed it. But it's alive. To really talk about reading the Bible, we have to talk about the Holy Spirit, which helps to animate it, which breathes life into the pages, which makes it something than just a dusty old book. Don't worry, I haven't been snooping on your shelves at home. I, I got a few dusty Bibles laying around too. But I also have some really worn falling apart ones. I, I meant to grab mine out of my office and bring it up here. It's held together with like sticky tack and it, it's, it's quite a sight. I usually show it to my confirmands because it's all written and folded up and all bent up and like covers falling off. And, but that's the one I've used the most. But I could buy a new one, but I just like that one. And I like the way that God continues to work and I can read my notes in it. And I can say, huh, interesting what I thought that meant back then. And then, uh, I just saw Jean Marie over here. She was talking about taking Disciple One a second time. And, and I'm sure she probably used her same book because she probably had some of those same kind of things. That, things that she thought one time, she's like, well, what on earth did I think there? Or, huh, 
that was pretty profound. I, why didn't I keep thinking about that? Um, but that's how scripture works. That's how when we write in our Bibles, that's how it works. God, God breathes into it at different times what we need. And then we're able to draw out what we need when we need it. founder of Methodism, John Wesley, uh, referred to scripture as God breathes. Just like when we take air in and out of our lungs to sustain life, God continues to breathe life into what otherwise might become just a dusty old book on a shelf like all the others. And in the process, it sustains life in us too. Wesley has a, a vivid sense of scripture as a talking book, that it talks to us. And so if it talks to us, then we need to listen. Uh, in fact, in his first collection of sermons called Sermons on Several Occasions, titles weren't his strong point, Wesley said that he aspired to be a man of just one book. And that's why as United Methodists, we believe that scripture is first, it takes, uh, is our primary source when we think about theology and practice. And we believe with Wesley that through this collection of ancient writings, God has uniquely spoken to the people of God. And we believe that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit still speaks to us today, showing us divine wisdom and guidance scripture now this is a little bit different way to read things and as United Methodist Bishop Will Williman writes though a few confused United Methodists may have may have been literalists or fundamentalists in their reading of scripture meaning it's very narrow we have never officially been so limited. As a denomination, we don't tell you exactly what you have to believe about every bit of scripture. You know, we have too much respect for our dependence upon the Holy Spirit in our scriptural interpretation. You know, we, we believe that God can reveal to us what it means. We don't have to tell God what it means. God knows. We have to be open to hearing God speaking in it to us. And we have a healthy acknowledgement of the distance between Scripture's original context and our own situations. And we also have a vivid sense of the reality of a living and resurrected and revealing Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that fact helps to shape how we hear and listen to Scripture. Jesus, the Word incarnate, shows us how we need to listen. He reveals to us who God is and how we are created to live with others. Too often we want to limit or I think shrink down the scope and magnitude of Scripture. We reduce it to a reference book used to justify our own positions without reflecting on its true God-given purpose. Willeman again suggests that scripture is an attempt to construct a new world. 
to stoke, fund, and fuel our imagination. The Bible is an ongoing debate about what is real and who is in charge and where we're all headed. This way of viewing scripture enlivens us to a desire to read the Bible and let it have its way with us. Not the other way around, not reading it so we can have our way with the Bible, but the, the Bible can have its way with us. Now I know that's difficult and I know that's demanding. also think that it's life-giving and it brings light to us and to those who are around us. A parishioner emerged from a church one Sunday after what the pastor believed to be one of his most biblical sermons. <laughs> and, the, and the parishioner was muttering, that's the trouble with you preachers. You just never speak to anything that relates to my world. Well, he makes a good point, to which the Bible replies, how on earth did you get the idea that I want to speak to your world? I want to rock, remake, deconstruct, and rework your world. Because that's what God's about. That's what the story of the Bible is about. Take Disciple 1. If you've never taken any other Bible studies, Take Disciple 1 because it starts at the beginning, goes to the end, and it gives you the whole scope. And if you have the whole scope, you start to get what God is about. God is about making covenants and keeping them. God's about transforming the world, remaking, renewing, breaking down walls and barriers that separate us. This is what God's business is about, the restoration of all things. Well, that sounds like a pretty good book. But if you get too caught up in little bitty details and arguing and fighting, then you tend to miss out on the good purposes that God is trying to bring forth in this book. God is trying to renew you and restore you and make you who he created you to be. And don't you think if the creator created you, maybe we ought to read what God created us for. And God, how God created us to interact with God and with one another. And that place that that is revealed is through scripture. God does not give us scripture to bore us or to make us great proof texters. He gives us scripture to change us, to transform us, and to give us true life. Theologian and Wesleyan scholar Albert Outler once wrote that the Bible is the story of what God has been doing and will always be doing on earth for his people. It is the story of what he has designed us for and what he rightly expects from us. It is the story of what we can count on from God, covenant making and covenant keeping on God's part, and covenant making and covenant breaking on our side. 
is a book that helps us become truly human. When someone says that scripture, contrary to the way United Methodists see it, is impractical or unrealistic, what they probably mean is that scripture is difficult and demanding. When we read scripture, allowing it to have its authoritative way with us, submitting to its peculiar way of naming the world, we are being changed, transformed, sanctified in its hearing. God is breathing an enlivening Holy Spirit upon us. Jesus is speaking directly to us, and a new world is being created out of the word. We indeed are being created, and then in service to Christ, we join God in his reclamation project in the world. We do not read the Bible to earn salvation, no. But like with prayer, we read it as a step toward living a generous life in response to God's grace. We read it to learn about God and God's ways. And we read it to learn about ourselves and how we, or how and for what we were created. Today we're not just inviting you to read the Bible but also inviting you to put the words of Scripture into practice. Now, here's a strange thought. Um, but many people can quote Scripture to you all day. And many people, if you looked at their Bible study resume, it would be long. But it has to translate to something. If it's just for knowledge's sake, then you probably should take a hiatus. Because if that's the only motivation, then we're not studying scripture or reading scripture with the right mindset. We need to read scripture with the idea that somehow God is going to transform us in our world by revealing to us the ways of God through scripture. James 1, and 25 says this, But be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they look like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty and per persevere, being not hearers who forget but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. Most of us don't have too little knowledge of what God asks of us and what God wants for us in his creation. It's just that we don't act on what we know. And sometimes going to more and more studies is just saying, well, you know, I just don't know enough about the Bible yet to really commit fully to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. You ever heard that? I have a million times. Well, if I just take one more study, well, I'm going to get through these, this series, or I'm going to this, then I'll be ready. You know enough. You don't need to know more. It is good to study scripture with other people because they help to, to 
enliven scriptures that you didn't realize or enlighten them for you. They help to support you and encourage you in this process of being transformed by God. So there are great benefits to Bible study. Do not think I'm saying we should never do Bible study. But we should not just do Bible study just for informational, educational purposes. We need to do it so that it can transform us into disciples of Jesus Christ. Have you ever felt like you suffer from scriptural amnesia? That sounds like an info commercial beginning. <laughs> Have you ever thought about it? Sounds like I'm going to give you a drug or something next, doesn't it? Then you need this. No. We all have. We read something. We say, oh, that sounds great. That's just wonderful. I love that. That Jesus, he's right on it there. And then we walk out the door and we totally forget what we just said. We thought was so impactful and meaningful. We all suffer from scriptural amnesia at times. And the only way to get over scriptural amnesia is to embody the good news of scripture. Is to take it from just being something intellectual and, oh, that sounds like a great thing that Jesus said there. Love your who? To then actually going and doing that thing. That reinforces it in our mind. It gets it down deep inside of us. In this book, um, Committed to Christ, that some of you have been reading, there's an uh, illustration I thought was kind of interesting. Those of you who've heard it, you'll already know the punchline. But if you haven't read it, it's a good one. You might remember that about 100 years ago or so, uh, the telegraph was the best way to get information across the country. And so uh, this company was trying to hire a new telegraph operator one, one time, and uh, the economy wasn't so great. So there were a lot of applicants for this one job. So this guy goes into the office, and he's the last one there. The whole office is full of people that have got there before him. And there's a little note up on the reception desk that says, fill out this paper and take a seat, and we'll call you in a few moments for an interview. So all these other guys are sitting there kind of looking at this guy like, yeah, one of us is going to get the job way before you get it, being last in line here. But then just after a couple of moments, this gentleman gets up, walks up to the door that goes into like the inner office where the boss is doing the interviews. He opens the door, goes in, shuts the door, and just a couple of moments later, he pops out with the boss. And the boss tells everyone who's there, um, Sorry, um, you all can go. Uh, I've filled the position. What? Well, the other applicants began grumbling, and one spoke up saying, Wait a minute, I don't understand. We never got a chance to be interviewed. And on top of it, of that, this guy comes in last, and you hire him. That's not fair. The employer said, I'm sorry that you feel that way. You all had the same opportunity during the last several minutes while you've been sitting here. Didn't you hear the telegraph key clicking? It was sending the following words in Morse code. If you understand this message, then come right in. The job is yours. None of you heard it or understood it. The young man did. The job is his. Far too often we let the words of the Bible drift in one ear and out the other. But this first chapter of James makes it clear, don't do that. Do not just hear 
but do because in the doing our hearing is reinforced and we begin to experience some of that life-giving power that comes through the words of scripture most people who look in the mirror do it for a reason right fix up their messy hair notice you cut yourself shaving realize you have some remnants of uh, luncheon Caesar salad in your teeth you know stuff like that you know we're looking for something and then we look in the Bible and then do our best guided by the spirit to do what it says then we'll find it Romans 15, 4 to 5 says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. When you look in the Bible and notice something in your life that needs to be fixed, or a pattern of behavior that needs to be adjusted, don't just turn away or shut it up and say, ah, it's not for me. Ask God for the courage and guidance and strength to change. And remember what our scripture said for today. Every part of scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us up, us to live God's way through the word we are put together and shaped up for the task God has for us